But I think the biggest problem that customers have is I don't think they understand the magnitude of the investment in marketing anymore. And I feel like the biggest issue companies are facing is they're building out a great, maybe they're building out a great company, maybe they have a great product, and then they're coming at the very end and saying, okay, um, well, here's what I have left for marketing. It doesn't work that way anymore. You literally have to go in and say, here's my product. Let me take a look at my sales pipeline. Look, if you're brand new, just starting out, or maybe you're not getting the sales you want and identifying the holes in the pipeline. When I can kind of get a business owner to really understand that, and then understand that this is a very different type of marketing and how digital is not like the old marketing you remember, then the light bulb kind of goes off in their head and they're like, all right, well, how do we start? How do we get this done? The following podcast is brought to you by Thrive. Manage, run, and grow your business all from one dashboard using one login. Small business runs better on Thrive. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street. And this week, we're bringing you a tremendous guest, Len Ward. Len is the founder of Ward Consulting. They specialize in marketing, ROI, customer acquisition costs, and marketing investment allocations. He prioritizes innovation over optimization, empowering clients to make informed marketing investment decisions. Len's the author of the Weekly Notes, where Len assesses the current marketing investment trends, gives his thoughts on how they will affect his client's marketing budget and cost of acquiring new customers. What should you, our listener, get out of this episode? Every small business looks for new customers and acquiring and retaining those customers is a key process that can, frankly, make you or break you. Len shows you how to do this. This show is brought to you by Thrive. Small business runs better on Thrive. So Len, welcome to the show. Morning, thanks for having me. Great to have you. So um, maybe we just start you know, with your background, how you got into helping small businesses through Ward Consulting. I mean, uh, my background actually started way back. I started way back in investment banking. Um, actually, as a retail stockbroker, over to investment banking, first with Morgan Stanley, then over to Credit Suisse. But the more relevant um, aspect of, of my career for this is I actually was the owner of a full-service agency for the better part of close to about 17 years. And one of the problems we ran into that all agencies run into is the client ultimately always asking that question, what is my return on what I'm investing here? Um, so, you know, after hearing that a lot and every agency hears it a lot, I figured I'd take a step back and really try to identify the numbers underneath the marketing and what was happening with the numbers in marketing. Um, and as I kind of dug deeper and deeper, I really came to a conclusion that there was a need out there for business owners to really understand what a real investment in marketing is, not to guess at it. And there's actually a formula you can use where you can try to estimate some sort of return. Um, so kind of a bit of an eclectic background from investing all the way over to my own agency to now consulting small and medium-sized business owners on an ROI for marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did find your, your background interesting because it, you know, applying sort of wall street techniques to marketing techniques, you've always had, I guess, a quantitative approach to things and you found that your niche or your preferred area turned out to be in this marketing area, I guess. Right. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I, you know, and I was a young guy on Wall Street, I, you know, you look back and you're like, wow, you're really young and, you know, young and dumb, but I did learn some stuff. Um, and one of the things that I try to that I tried to apply here was what were mutual fund managers asking companies that they were about to invest in? What were the financial questions they were asking people, because they wanted to know, these questions were really vital to the health of the company. And I think when I was able to extract that from my memory and really lay it over on top of you know, the marketing and developing the ROI, 
uh, yeah, I think I kind of eventually stumbled upon something, but yeah, the, it's kind of a, kind of a swing in a career there from A to Z. So it's been very different. Yeah. So as you look at small businesses, medium-sized businesses and the marketing challenges they face uh, through your lens of kind of return on investment, you know, what are the typical problems that businesses face that they come to you with and say, Hey, Lynn, you know, help us out. I think the biggest problem, well, obviously the question is we're not seeing a return on marketing, but I think the biggest problem that customers have is I don't think they understand the magnitude of the investment in marketing anymore. And I feel like the biggest issue companies are facing is they're building out a great, maybe they're building out a great company, maybe they have a great product, and then they're coming at the very end and saying, okay, um, well, here's what I have left for marketing. It doesn't work that way anymore. You literally have to go in and say, here's my product. Let me take a look at my sales pipeline. Look, if you're brand new, just starting out, or maybe you're not getting the sales you want and identifying the holes in the pipeline and saying, okay, well, to fix the holes, and I know I have a good product and I know I have a good value proposition, what's it going to cost me to fix that? And, uh, and I think that is typically where agencies normally lose a client. And that's where a client sometimes spins off the rails and says, you know what, I don't trust digital marketing. And I think when I can kind of get a business owner to really understand that, and then understand that this is a very different type of marketing and how digital is not like the old marketing you remember, then the light bulb kind of goes off in their head and they're like, all right, well, how do we start? How do we get this done? Okay. So when a customer walks in toward consulting and says, you know, I'm not getting a return on investment. I don't know how much I should be spending, how to target, yada, yada. What's your process for, you know, kind of helping people? Yeah, the process is, it's pretty straightforward. I come in and always comes out with, well, what's your revenue goal? Like, what is the revenue goal for the year right now? Um, and then I kind of do a backtrack all the way through the revenue goal. We kind of look at close rates. We take a look at the leads you've gotten. And then we kind of, what we're trying to identify is where the pipe, the hole is in the pipeline. I feel like that's where marketing agencies actually are failing their client. They're not laying out the pipeline and saying, walk me through the sales process from A to Z. And I want to know where we're failing. Is my close rates under what industry standard is? Am I not getting enough people to my website that's actually generating a lead? Are the leads we get in are maybe not necessarily quality? Are the leads to proposal to close? Are we having a, you know, a problem there? So I really lay that out for the clients. And then I lay down their current marketing uh, strategy on top of what they're doing. And then it becomes pretty clear. They're like, oh, well, we're not addressing that hole. We're not addressing that hole. And then what I do is I try to start working with them to work on a strategy that they can now work with their agency on to eventually get to that ultimately, the, you know, the revenue goal and then the return on investment. Okay. So you use the word pipeline. I guess some people use the word funnel. It's funnel kind of pipeline. the same yep, idea. Same from it, it, right. It's beginning and an end and it goes through stages. Yep. Um, there's marketing and then there's sales, right? So, you know, it starts with how do I generate an interested prospect, somebody looking for what I offer, right? And then taking them through kind of the journey of uh, I'm just browsing to ultimately buying something. Is there, is there typically a bigger problem on the marketing side or a bigger problem on the sales side? Do you see one or the other that tends to get, have more holes, more gaps? Yeah, the problem is the side, they silo it. So what happens is, is typically sales and marketing, if we all know, really never really got along. They blame each other. And the business owner or the, you know, the person calling the marketing sales and marketing shots, they keep it siloed. And they'll say, all right, well, sales has generated this for me. Marketing has generated this for me. And then they'll make 
wholesale decisions on who should get laid off, who should not get laid off. In the digital world, you have to understand that unless it's an emergency service, unless you have a cracked tooth, you need something fixed, unfortunately, a DUI, there's an emergency. Um, then you could say, okay, I'm going to click my ad and I'm going to you know, make my purchase and I'm going to get my problem solved right away. But if you're typically in a 90% of the other businesses out there, service-based, attorneys, medical, or something along those lines where there's a bit of a thought process, you have to understand that that lead may come in and sales may have a touch or two. But the problem is, is that if marketing drops off, that pipeline is normally actually the biggest problem you normally find, which is right there. Marketing and digital marketing has to support the salesperson all the way through, whether that's geofencing, retargeting, email drip campaigns, uh, maybe even a preemptive campaign. Hey, I'm about to case this area, you know, for leads and so forth. I'm going to go door to door. Can you drop a geofence? So it's working together and really trying to get to that final goal. And again, the goal should always be like our revenue goal this year is $15 million. Are we getting to $15 million? And if not, what, what is the problem to get in the pipeline? So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. So help us understand now, I know you have a structure where you often look at the cost to acquire a customer and then the, the value or, or lifetime value or lifetime revenue that the customer provides. Can you first, let's just define them because I know there's a lot of misunderstanding on this topic. What is, what should you, what should a business be thinking about as the cost of acquiring a customer? Customer acquisition costs is probably the most unknown entity of any business. When you walk into it, what I'm dealing with a business, the very first question I ask a business is what is your customer acquisition cost? 95% have no idea what their customer acquisition cost is. The great ones do. Netflix, Uber, the rest, they know it cold. Google, they all know it cold. And I tell people when I point out 10 companies about the customer acquisition costs, I'm like, this is the reason why they are what they are. They've had a great value proposition, definitely a purple cow. Seth Godin's worked in there. But number three, they know how to manipulate that customer acquisition cost number. Customer acquisition cost is made up of two things. It's made up of your sales and your marketing. And the actual cost of it, again, is predicated on, we'll call it the funnel, the holes in your funnel. Uh, you know, predicated on how you have to, you know, try to fill those holes. So basically it's a mix of the two and there's all investments going there, digital marketing, traditional marketing, your marketing manager, your commissions, your sales, maybe you have a MarTech stack, a CRM, your website, your hosting company, anything and everything that is used to actually bring a customer in the front door and actually check out on a register. And you'd be surprised how in depth that can get. And you'd be surprised how often a, a business owner will step back and be like, I did not realize how much my customer acquisition cost was. So that's that. The next thing is a lifetime value. You have to identify what the lifetime value of your customer is. How many times will they come to the register and actually purchase your product? Is it one time? Is it multiple times? Is it maybe one time and then maybe in a couple of years you can service them down the road? You really have to identify that. When you take your customer acquisition cost and you take your lifetime value, you then establish a lifetime value ratio. So for every dollar you put in a sales and marketing, this is my return, my lifetime value ratio return. Typically, and I don't want to get too into the weeds here, typically what Silicon Valley's always looked for was a three to one. So for every dollar you put in, you would get $3 back on the lifetime value. There's other components, there's operating um, you know, operating expenses and so forth, and a lot of other things. That's not what we're bringing into a question here. It's just, it's basically, here's what I'm investing in sales and marketing. Here's what I got in return. And am I profitable? So hopefully that kind of uh, answers that. Yeah, that's great. And I just want to press down a little bit on one or two of the points you made. First of all, on the, on the cost of acquisition, um, 
Should it be fully loaded where you're included even, let's say, your CMO salary or even your CEO salary? Like how loaded down do you make that? Anybody uh, who has a touch with the potential customer or existing client, all of those salaries should be included. Sometimes you have to prorate it. One of the things we get a lot is normally they have the internal IT person, we'll call her Jenny. And Jenny is just good at putting PowerPoint presentations together for sales. But Jenny really, 90% of her job is like, you know, okay, well, she is, you know, doing IT. You laugh, but that 10% of her salary, we got to carve that out and put that in the customer acquisition cost. Because the minute you understand your customer acquisition cost is now the minute when somebody like a, a marketer or maybe somebody you know, with a new product to sell you or whatever it may be, you now know if you can fit that in your customer acquisition cost and how to move things around and say, you know what, we're going to get a new website, so let me move some stuff around. Or you know what, I'm going to add this to my MarTech stack. So rather than increasing my CAC, let me kind of move some pieces around. So yes, to answer your question, that can take with a customer, sometimes I can work with a customer for upwards of a month to a month and a half to really identify all those costs. Sure. And then on the lifetime value, um, you're really looking at, you, you, you know, you're using the word value and not revenue. And the difference is, is, you're looking at the contribution margin of the customer towards offsetting all that overhead, right? Yeah, I guess you say yes and no. It basically is if a customer comes in and are they going to spend $1,000 with you one time or are they going to you know, come to the register three times and each of those transactions is $1,000, so it's $3,000. I would say a better way to look at that is it truly is the revenue. So I think the term oh. value and revenue might be interchangeable there. Okay. Because I know a lot of people take out of that revenue the uh, uh, cost of servicing. So they're really looking at the contribution. So like if I spent $1,000 to acquire this customer, um, I'll get enough contribution out of, let's say, three sales to offset that one cost, that kind of thing, right? So that's, that's, that's a very good point. And that's where people go off the rails and make a mistake. So a lot of times they'll come in and say, yeah, but the problem is, is my, the lifetime value is this, but it costs me X, Y, Z to service that client, which is baked into the operating expenses. You can't do that. You have to make sure that that's separated. So if this is what it costs to acquire your customer, um, and this is the lifetime value, then you have to try to get a better return on that. You can't say, well, I need my customer acquisition cost to be less um, because it's going to cost me this to service the customer. That's if your pipeline deficiencies are saying you need leads and you got to generate Google AdWords and AdWords is $200 a click, $200 a click to a lead and so forth and so forth. You can't re-manipulate the numbers that are established to say, well, I can't run my business that way. Unfortunately, in the digital world, if you are at the mercy of leads, your lifetime value, you are basically at the mercy of what the holes are in your funnel. And I hope, I know I'm kind of again getting into weeds and it kind of separates it, but that's where some people kind of say, well, no, 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 I can't do it that way. This is sales and marketing, what it costs me to acquire the customer, what they'll generate going forward, and then what that profitability is from there. That's a whole other part I can work with you on. Okay. So let's talk a, a little bit about the cost of marketing these days and generating these leads that ultimately become your customers. Hasn't the cost of generating clicks, you know, particularly Google AdWords gone up over the recent years. Everything I've heard is that these costs are just spiraling and a lot of businesses are trying to figure out how do I do it cheaper? Yeah. And that's, I love when I, I have a line that I walk in when a customer's like, I'm looking to get my customer acquisition costs down, or I'm looking to get my marketing expenses down. I start with a line that says you cannot out optimize a bad spend. Do not forget that line. <laughs> and I tell every single time a customer comes to me, 
And normally if their marketing is failing, you're like, something's not going. I'm like, right away, I'm like, let's look at the investment. Let's look at the holes in the funnel. I'm like, so you chose to underinvest and now you're blaming the marketing lady. I'm like, doesn't work that way. Um, the costs have gotten out of control. I actually wrote a blog post a while ago and it was called businesses will go out of companies will go out of business because the cost of marketing is going to get out of control. And you can actually read that on my website. Um, it has. And I feel like what's going on right now is that if you do not, or you're not properly financed, if you truly don't understand the digital world and you're maybe just getting involved in a digital world now, I think you would be stunned at how much it is to invest in a Google AdWords campaign or a LinkedIn campaign, and then realize that two, three years ago, a digital marketing campaign really could cure your ills. It would generate leads. It would do great things. But if you're not doing like five or six different things after the digital marketing, which costs even more money, your campaign's really not going not gonna to work. So yeah, to answer your question, a long-winded answer, it's gotten really expensive. So what are the alternatives? I mean, everybody hears Google, 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 or Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. What are some of the alternatives that might be more efficient uh, for the small business advertisers so they're not just blowing all their money on Google? Well, I mean, I think you have to, that comes back to the question of, let's just pretend there's Mike. Mike is, you know, a home remodeling company and Mike to kind of hit his revenue of $3 million this year. He, he's fairly new um, and he knows he's got to live like, you know, within the lead pool. Um, and we would go in and take a look at it and we would say, okay, well, Google AdWords, we feel as if you would need X, Y, Z amount of traffic to come to your website, which would generate leads. Your close rate is 25%. So it will cost you know X, Y, Z, we would tell them. So then you have to take a step back and say, well, maybe AdWords is not really the answer. Then maybe you do look at third-party companies. Is there a way in which we could buy leads? Is there a way in which there's you know uh, maybe an outreach company that could help us? So you want to kind of weigh it and think about what would be the most efficient way to generate those leads to get you to your revenue goal. But to answer your question on other platforms, unfortunately, I believe we're at a stage right now, and I'll touch on something in a minute, where Google and Facebook slash Instagram slash YouTube, which are all the same thing, you're really at the mercy of them. Um, I do. I am a big proponent. I know a lot of people like to hear this. I think TikTok is a rising power. I think it's something that it's it's an underutilized resource. I think more people should be using, whether we're going to be able to use it or not in the next few months, who knows? Um but I think TikTok is one of those dark horses coming up the corner that if people are not paying attention to it, they need to. You know, we were talking there about the uh, alternatives. Uh, one, you know, people say, well, my advertising costs are too much or marketing costs or cost of acquisition too. But as we said, there's two sides to this. There's the cost of acquiring and there's a lifetime revenue or lifetime value. And getting, you know, if you're looking for three to one and you can make the lifetime value grow, you know, maybe that allows you to spend a little more on the marketing side. So what are some of the ways to increase the lifetime value as opposed to just focusing on the marketing cost? Yeah, well, and I think the other thing too is if a customer does come back and it's kind of bolts on to the answer, it comes back and it's like, well, my marketing is too expensive or I can't afford that. I'll tell customers, the first thing I'll tell them is like, let's take a look at your operating expenses. Do you really need an office this big? Mm -hmm. You know, Let's take a look at the fleet of cars. Um, do you have to do business travel or can you do Zoom? Like, the problem you're dealing with right now is that if you're at the mercy of generating leads and you're at the mercy of your sales team is like, hey, you know, they're they're basically waiting for the inbound leads and they'll go they'll go market them. You you have to start looking at your operating margins. It's not it's not agency after agency. You know, let's do another dog and pony show a creative and let's try. Well, maybe this you know we'll hook them this way with a line. It doesn't work that way. You have to begin to 
for the first time, I think ever, companies are like, am I really going to be downsizing my office? Or am I really going to maybe cut my car fleet in half because Google and Facebook are requiring it? Yeah, if you need leads, you, you need to really start thinking about that. Increasing the lifetime value of your customer is where you want to start looking at retention marketing and start going into, you know, am I, you know, uh, you know, am I, do I have a, a constant email newsletter that's going out? Uh, am I actively going after my followers on social media? Um, am I, you know, maybe even mailing a postcard to them, you know, once a quarter or whatever it may be. So it is that account-based marketing that I think a lot of companies really, they're like, oh, well, they'll, they'll let us know, or we'll run a special where our salesmen maybe touch them once every six months. No, create an account-based marketing because, the more you do that, the more revenue they spend, the less you're relying on leads and the less you have to maybe downsize that office or spend on Google and so forth. So retention marketing, account-based marketing is another really underutilized tool in the marketing world. And that really requires some type of customer relationship management or CRM system, right? You have to know who your customers are. You have to know all this history you have on them. What jobs did they, did we do for them? How much did they spend? And then you want to be able to market to them again, right? You have to know, you have to have a database, your customers and some history, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry, Google, Google Sheets is not a CRM. Yeah. So it's, you need a real CRM. You can, there's a million ones you can look at. There's very affordable ones all the way up to very pricey ones. Find the one that fits you. But if you are, if you have a marketing and sales team, even if you're just a small company of four or five people, invest in the CRM. It's one of the greatest investments you can make out there. I know they're complicated. I know they can be cumbersome, but the minute you really figure them out and learn how to use them, it's a great investment. And that goes in your customer acquisition costs. So invest wisely. Right, exactly. Um, and then once you do have that CRM in place, those retention marketing efforts can really pay off, right? Because I know as a, you know, a homeowner, car owner, you know, owner of various things myself, I'm surprised how many times I use a service business that does not contact me again, you know, even if for something that obviously you need to do, for example, uh, you need your car inspected every year or you need maybe every spring your air conditioner to be looked at to make sure it's working properly. And you would think the companies that service you the first time would send you a email, text, something to remind you, oh, hey, it's time to do it again. And I get very few of those, actually. I'm surprised how little recontacts I get. It's up to me to remember to, con and I don't often remember who I used last time. Yeah, it's it's the it's funny. It's the companies that make the most money on service, and some of the really smart car dealerships. We had car dealership clients who were, you know, making points to me a few years ago that they make all their money in the service. So they have a, they. I mean, yeah, they want leads. Yes, they want to sell cars because. But the goal with them was we need to feed the service department. They some car dealers are masters at account based marketing. You get the postcard. You get you start getting hit on social media. You know they they geofence you. Then they, you know they'll actually call you. They'll text you. So yeah, you are right. But it is amazing how many times you have to remind yourself. But if you can get that established in your funnel in your pipeline, I would be stunned if your revenue doesn't increase dramatically by doing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, just switching a little. Bit, switching gears a little bit, um, you know, we, we have listeners in, in a variety of categories and verticals from home services to, you mentioned auto, fitness, uh, real estate, finance. Um, some of these techniques you're talking about, are they kind of the same for different categories or are there category specific tricks and techniques? I think the overall, the overarching tried and true digital strategy right now, which is what a lot of people implement, can be used everywhere. Um, there's really, I'm sure that there's some agencies that may say, well, we do it this way, we do it that way. That's okay. But at the end of the day, 
geofencing, retargeting, uh, keyword search intent, you know, um, you know, and, and things like that, account-based marketing and, you know, how you do a drip campaign for email, a lot of it stays the same. You're, if you, if everything I just mentioned to you, if you, if you're working with an agency or your internal marketing team is not doing every single thing I said to you, you do want to take a step back. And that's where you need to start questioning people and saying, you know, it's the buyer's journey. And the typical buyer may need to be touched 10 times, whether they're an existing customer or a new customer. And do you have a current marketing campaign that is actually going to be able to touch them to the 10 points? And that is where the overarching strategy should be. I think one of the biggest changes in digital marketing that we've seen since the internet started, maybe even bigger, and I think ChatGPT and AI is going to completely turn everything on its head. And I do think people, as you just mentioned, anybody listening, you need to be prepared, start reading and start listening because it's going to have a major impact on your customer acquisition costs. But yes, but the overarching strategy, back to your question, I deviated, you need to have an overarching strategy and nobody's really invented a new way to you know, run the mousetrap. It's kind of all the same thing. It's just really good creative and having a really good offer and a good product. You mentioned the buyer's journey. Uh, at the beginning of the buyer's journey, I guess, is this kind of awareness or consideration piece where I'm, I'm looking for, you know, somebody to, you know, service my car or what have you. And maybe I Google, you know, car service or something or auto service or uh, um, how does the, how do you, how do you recommend or what do you recommend in terms of awareness? Because you've been saying a lot about Google AdWords, but there is the more brand building piece out there, right? Where businesses think maybe I should be doing more general advertising where I'm building a brand, whether that would be TV advertising, billboard advertising, you know, uh, maybe advertising in local circulars or flyers, or things like that, you know, more like get my name out there as opposed to just the Google links. Um, is that something you advocate? Yeah, I mean, it's it's huge. It's just a famous, you know, I think it was a David Ogilvy who said it, let them know they have a problem. And that's mm -hmm. the awareness campaign. So, you know, you have to bring it up to somebody that they have a current problem. Um, the awareness campaign is a mandatory component of investing, whether it is billboards, whether it is some sort of print. Uh, again, I like how you said, you know, you, you sponsor your local church, synagogue, whatever it may be, you know, an event there. Um, anything along those lines that let people know like, oh, that's interesting. That's, you know, that's, I didn't know that they did that. or I didn't know they were local. Spotify is great for that. YouTube ads are great for that. Uh, you can even advertise on Hulu. You can advertise on podcast, but yes, it's a mandatory component. The, the problem you run into awareness campaign is if a company comes to you and is like, we really, really, really need leads, you know, we're kind of up against the wall. Then from your customer acquisition cost standpoint, if I'm looking at an allocation, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to have to pivot my money over to leads and I don't like to live in that world and we'll leave a little bit to awareness. But ultimately, if you have a hundred percent, you know, digital marketing campaign, you're operating optimally when you are running 25 to 35% of your investment is in the awareness stage, which is letting people know that they have a problem. So yes, I'm a big advocate of that. Uh, we have to take a quick break. We'll be back in 30 seconds with more from Len Ward and we'll hear a little bit about close ratios and what you should be expected to deliver. Don't go away. This episode of Winning on Main Street is brought to you by Thrive, the small business management platform that you and your customers will love. No matter where you are, Thrive helps you run your business, keep organized, and get paid faster, all from one login and dashboard. Thrive makes it easy for customers to find you online, instantly interact, and stay engaged. 
And with free unlimited support 24-7, there really is no comparison. Go to thrive.com slash pod for a quick demo to see everything Thrive can do. And we're back with Len Ward of Ward Consulting talking about a fascinating discussion about marketing effectiveness, really, and, and how you can do more with your money from a, a tactile TV perspective, cost of acquisition versus lifetime value of your customer, and how to sort of dial that in. So, um, you know, you hear, we talked a lot about marketing, a little bit less about sales, and, and you know, a lot of people have sales teams of various sort, sorts. Uh, Len, what is good in terms of a close ratio? I generate 100 leads. How many of those should turn into jobs? I think that is that is on a um, case by case basis. I think that's on an industry basis. Um, you know, I know it's funny because a lot of times when I was running marketing campaigns for people, we'd come in and be like, "Hey, if you get me a hundred leads, I'll close ninety of them." All right, if you're selling water in the middle of the desert to somebody, you're probably going to close ninety percent. Or if it's an emergency and I have a pipe broken, I need it fixed. Yes, your close rate should be very very high. Um, but I think it's on a case by case basis. You can increase your close rates again by making sure that you know when they are in the consideration stage that you are running the right type of marketing campaigns to really try to get them there. So if they have that proposal, if they have that scope of work in front of them, um, if they visited your showroom and have some stuff, if you're able to retarget them with relevant content, if you're able to geofence them and so forth and really help them along their decision process, that will help your close rate. But close rate is bar none one of the most critical things you have to look at as in your sales and marketing investment, because a lot of times companies will come back. I'll give you an example. One time I had a roofing company and they were like, well, we need more leads. And this is going back years. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll keep generating your leads. We kept looking at the one thing. We're like, man, our close rate is really, really low. You know, and we're like, all right, we'll let it go. And it was like 10%, 15%. He's like, I just need more leads. I'm like, let me ask you something. I was like, if I generate you the leads that that we actually, or that you want, wouldn't we have a roofing epidemic on our hands? Like everyone's roof is bad, you know? And they're kind of looking at me. And I tell the story a lot on the podcast, but I'm like, you have to identify your close rate and maybe fix it. For someone like you, it probably should be in the 35% range, 40% range. That's where you should be living uh, for that, you know? So hopefully that kind of answered your question, but that that's kind of where, I'm, you know, where I live in regards to, you know, closing rates. Right, because like all leads are not created equal, right? Like, for example, if you get a lead that comes through your own website, that's different than a lead that maybe comes through, you know, somebody like a home advisor where we know those leads get sent out to about five different mm -hmm. vendors, right? And so you yeah. may be competing with vendors for like, who's the first one to call the customer and make them an offer or, or a bid for a project, right? So sometimes... It's just your lead. Sometimes it's a lead that's being shared with others and your close ratio is obviously going to be better on the first than the second, I would think. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. I mean, if you have a value proposition that's tremendous and your product is tremendous, your, your close rate is, is going to get really good. If your close rate, let's just say your close rate has not changed. You've done all the marketing I just mentioned. You're doing really good. Well, then at that point, you need to take a step back and say, well, how can I go in and really enhance my product? What can I do to innovate? And that is truly where the great innovations do arise is when people are like, you know what? I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to invent this and work that way. And then you watch your close rates go all the way up. But close rates are such a critical, critical part of sales and marketing. They really are. Yeah. We talked a lot about you know, paid advertising or paid marketing. And there's the other piece, which is uh, you know, kind of earned, I guess, people talk about, which could be everything from 
kind of your SEO, right? Like making yourself more findable up to things like uh, PR or blogs, which, which in theory are sort of free um, uh, or social. Um, what, what, what is your thought on that piece of the sort of chain? Mandatory, something like public relations. I, I like how people were trying to kill that off. What, five, six years ago, they thought our oh, social media will kill that off. I think public relations now is more relevant than almost it ever has been. If anything, it's almost should be a mandatory investment in your customer acquisition cost. Um, doing things like sponsoring events in the community, being seen in the community, I think that is tremendous. I think from an SEO perspective, I think you should be investing in that. Like, it's not about why well, I need to get to the first page of Google. It's what typically are individual, what type of questions would they ask uh, a search engine or ask Alexa, I don't talk too loud for my Alexa to kick on in a minute. Um, <laughs> you know, and then like, what would they ask? And then writing and creating content where you can come up for that. I think the shift that's happened is for years, public relations might've been the tip of the spear or SEO was definitely the tip of the spear. Now I think it's part of, it's it's just part of the buyer's journey and it's, it's interweaved there. But yes, an investment should be made in both of them. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess the final issue people face is kind of the attribution, the old, what was it, John Wanamaker, half my advertising is wasted, I just don't know which half, right? Like, True. you know, you do the PR, you do the SEO, and you don't know, did the leads come in because of the PR? Did they come in because of the general uh, uh, image advertising? Was it a lead that came in maybe through one source that ended up but another, you know, uh, maybe you do a podcast and someone hears the podcast, and then five days later, they click on your website. How do you know it came from the podcast? That kind of thing. Yeah, I think that, well, that, that comes down to the last click attribution. And even when you have somebody like Google, Yahoo, Facebook, I think they got together a few years ago together, which was amazing and said, really, really watch last click attribution. And we know that we make our money on last click attribution, but you have to think about an individual that maybe went to, you know, went to, uh, you know, some sort of like, um, like let's say a flooring store, looked at some of the flooring, I looked at a couple of different places uh, but then they saw the flooring store car driving by, you know, on the road, and then maybe they saw the billboard and for some reason they were getting targeted. And let's just say they Googled, you know, oh, that flooring company and, you know, around us, Haddonfield, New Jersey. And like that, that's exactly who we wanted. Um, and they go and they click that, that pay-per-click ad. The problem you're looking at there is, is people would then come in and say, well, look at what pay-per-click did for you. And that's not necessarily true. Um, they actually, it might've been a million different ways for them in which to touch you. And I know that there are some programs out there that can help track that for you. I know there's some programs that can really look at, you know, the buyers and where they were and where they weren't. Um, but there's no programs out there tracking who saw your billboard driving by or that, you know, wrapped up truck, uh, or maybe even somebody in passing, somebody on Facebook said, Hey, in a Facebook group, Hey, can anybody recommend a great flooring company to me? And Oh, by the way, there's that company that pops up again. So it really is embracing the buyer's journey and understanding the right mix of your investment. And is that investment ultimately getting me to my, my targeted revenue number? And if it's not, let's take a look at the pipeline. Let's look at the funnel and how do I reallocate this? And if that's not working, then I need to step back and really look at innovation and what can I do that's going to completely separate me from my competitor. Yeah, terrific. Uh, we haven't talked much about you specifically, your firm. Uh, what kind of clients do you handle? Are they small companies, medium, large? Like, who, who's your typical customer? I really like dealing with the small businesses. I, I don't. I, I have worked with some larger companies. The issue working with larger companies is there's just a lot of dynamics. There, there's a lot of moving parts, um, and you know, trying to get everybody on the same page is really never easy. But typically, that 
you know, the companies I like are the companies like 2.5 million and down in revenue are the ones that I typically really work well with because I can really kind of, you know, get my hands dirty. I can really pull out all the numbers, take a look at it and say, this is what you need to do. I like to pretty much only work with the business owner. Um, and then from time to time, have the marketing manager in. A lot of times agencies will bring me in to try to say, hey, look, we got a great client. We've had a great relationship, but it's kind of failing and we don't want it to go away. So I work well with agencies where I'm like, all right, I'm kind of like the mediator. You're doing this right. You're doing that wrong. Let's let's find a middle ground. Um, so those are my, my clients that I typically work with. Okay, terrific. And where should people find you and learn more about what you're doing and you know potentially become a client? It's pretty easy. Just go to ward.consulting. Uh, you can jump on my website. I upload videos. I have my you know weekly notes uh, and thoughts and so forth. And that's pretty much it. You can also find me uh, on LinkedIn at Len Ward and just request me. We can take it from there. Okay, great. Just curious, how big is your company these days? My company's small. I so I still own an agency, uh, but it's not an ad agency anymore. We pretty much just stick pretty much with just web maintenance and web hosting. Uh, so I still own that, but my company is solely me. So oh. when you work with me, when you work with the work consulting, you are working with me. So I am very limited on the clients I take. I try okay. to typically no more than about 10 to 15 clients, uh -huh. uh, but it's refreshing just being me opposed to having to manage 20 to 35 people. Yeah, understood. Well, this has been great, Len. You're a, a font of knowledge, obviously really deep, deep uh, understanding of this subject area. And I'm sure you could be a big help to a lot of our clients. So hopefully folks will give you a ring and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Great, appreciate you having me, thank you. And I want to thank our producer, Tim Alleman, coordinators, Diet Barnett, and Daniel Huddleston. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your colleagues, friends, and family to subscribe. And please leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us in the rankings. Small business runs better on Thrive. Get a free demo at thrive.com. Until next time, make it a great week.